Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, if you have a Bible, let's go to James chapter 1. We're hitting part 3 of our series called Real Faith, and we're going to spend most of our time in James chapter 1. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Jesse. I'm the youth pastor here, and uh, it's actually my last Sunday as the youth pastor in this particular role uh, today. I'm starting a new role here in the fall, and uh, it's had me thinking about this last era of youth ministry that, that we've seen over the last almost six years. And uh, one of the things I was thinking about this week was the fact that there's been so many things we've seen God do. And, and one of them, that, that's my favorite thing we saw, or one of my favorites anyways, is uh, a couple of years ago with our middle school group, we did something called the Rock Challenge. Uh, anybody remember that? Any of you guys were around for that? Some of you like over here? Some, I know more of you were, anyways. Uh, but the, what we did with this was, uh, you know, day in and day out over from September to May uh, for our weekly season of events, we would, we would come together, we would pray, and, and we, would, we would wait and watch and, and see what God would do. And every time he did something, and every time he answered a prayer and worked through prayer, we would write it down on a rock when he did something, what he did, uh, what was the prayer even that, that, that he answered. And, and then we would put it in these jars, and over these weeks we would see, okay, wow, these jars are filling up, and, and God is moving, God is working, God is doing something. And by the time we got to May, I thought, okay, I need to, I need to like do some math here and see like how many rocks are, are in these jars, because like we've seen them filling up, but what's, what's actually been the case here? And so we spill out all these jars in my office, we're counting them all up, and it turned out there were over 200 rocks filled out from like an eight-month period of God moving through our students' prayers, our leaders' prayers, our families' prayers, and he was just showing up in power and surpassing our expectations. And that, the whole process of remembering that and even doing that reminded me that when we do the math on certain things, when we take the variables and the information uh, that, that's part of our situation, part of our reality, sometimes we're exposed to or discover things that maybe we suspected or maybe had no awareness of, but nonetheless gave us an accurate picture of what was really going on. Like, we, I didn't know there was 200. Like, I didn't even have a guess. I just knew there was a lot. And, you know, we do this all the time with things, right? Like, some of you are going to go across the parking lot uh, to Wendy's uh, for lunch, right? And you're going you're gonna to do the math in your wallet and go, okay, you know, I, I thought today was going to be a Baconator Sunday. It's a JBC Sunday, I think, today. Maybe, maybe a Frosty if we're lucky, but JBC, that's, that's the math. That's what that's showing me, right? Or maybe you're doing the math and you're kind of sizing yourself up on a sports team going, okay, like uh, all of our guys on, on our basketball team, uh, they're a certain height, and I'm seeing uh, none of them are even as tall as the shortest player on their team. I'm going to do the math and realize my reality is a bit troubling right now. Uh, you know, or amusement parks, you know, you'll do the math and you'll, you'll calculate your height uh, or weight uh, in some cases for rides. And it's like, okay, am I, is, is it accurate and appropriate for me to act on this? And that's what James is going to help us do this morning as well. He's going to help us do the math with our money. And everybody looks excited about that. <laughs> Right? Like, you showed up for the money talk at church, right? You're like, oh, there's still time to do the run for water. Like, what's going on here, right? Like, help me out here. Uh, look, I don't think uh, God wants to trap you this morning or, or guilt you into something this morning. Uh, but what he may do, what he may do is he may press into an area of your life uh, that is already trapping you. Or even better, maybe he'll give us a perspective on this part of our world uh, that will motivate us to do some things a little bit differently. Not out of shame, 
but out of a, a more compelling vision of, of his greatness and goodness towards us. So uh, as, we, as we start this morning, uh, we're going to read James 1, verse 9 uh, through uh, 11, and then we're going to make some observations about some of these statements in here. And uh, yeah, it may get a little awkward, but that's, that's good from time to time, right? So James 1, uh, verse 9 to 11 says this, Believers who are poor have something to boast about, for God has honored them. And those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. They will fade away like a little flower in the field. The hot sun rises and the grass withers. The little flower droops and falls, and its beauty fades away. In the same way, the rich will fade away with all of their achievements. Wow. I think the big thing God wants us to see and what James wants us to walk away with this morning as we start is this idea that if Jesus runs our lives, money shouldn't ruin our lives. And let's pray and ask God for the help to see all of what's going on here and that it would be helpful for us. So Father, thank you for this opportunity. Thank you that when we, when we, when we journey through Scripture, when we journey through your word, we encounter things that, that maybe otherwise we wouldn't want to think about. But thank you that you are a God of grace and of truth and that you meet us where we are at and take us from where we are at. So I pray that that would happen for all of us and that we would love you all the more for having done so this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, uh, I want to unpack certain things about uh, the phrases and the words in here. Uh, so I'm going to go through these uh, couple verses a bit slow uh, and then uh, I want to ask us a few questions uh, at the end of our time. So... First of all, in verse 9, we start with this word, believers. Believers. So right up front, we should know, okay, if you're not a believer in this room, uh, you're kind of listening in on a discussion that James is having with the church, with people who have said, hey, I'm going to give uh, my life, I'm going I'm to trust my life to Jesus. He's going to rescue it, he's going to rule it, I'm going to put my faith in his life, death, and resurrection on my behalf to bring me into a right relationship with God, which will change my life forever and my eternal destiny forever. And what that ought to tell us is that, okay, when we do that, when we, when we surrender to that, 100% of our lives, 100% of who we are, 100% of what we do is placed into those rescuing and ruling hands of the Lord Jesus. So naturally then, that would apply to our finances, our material possessions, the things that we own, the things that we've earned, the things that we've been gifted, right? Now there's a little maybe debate about, okay, does James only start talking about the believers who are poor, then maybe switch his language around and, and be a bit ironic and, and, and confront uh, the, the non-Christian rich. Uh, but many commentators, and myself included, would say, no, this, this whole thing is, is about addressing two different types of people within the church. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. So uh, back into verse 9. Believers who are poor. Other translations say lowly or in humble circumstances. And I, I like actually that this is in here because sometimes we have this idea that when we give Jesus our lives, and even some uh, churches will tell us this, that you, you automatically then will see this great increase uh, in, in your balance in the bank, or you'll automatically be, be rich and wealthy and successful in a lot of areas. Uh, but that's not always the case. It's not the case in this room or on this stage necessarily. Uh, but it is, it's, it is a truth that when you give Jesus your life, he does want the best for you, but that does not automatically mean you become materially wealthy. 
And some, for some of us, that, that might be something we need to hear this morning, that, man, I haven't, I haven't seen a lot of, uh, of momentum or traction in, in my wallet. Uh, what, what is going on there? Why does it seem like I, I keep going from job to job or jobless to, and, and, and not finding much in terms of this part of my life? Well, you should know that God hasn't left you and God hasn't pulled away his love from you. There have always been believers in the world and throughout the church history who have been labeled poor. And I think that's something uh, really important for us to realize this morning. Uh, Believers who are poor, James says, have something to boast about. Which seems strange up front because it's like, well, most of the things we boast about in our culture or the things that we take pride in or brag about even uh, are things that we have accomplished or things that we have, right? I did something or I own something or I am something and that is what I'm going to put forward to the world as my image of, of success and, and pride and I can, I, can take, I can boast about that. But James is saying, look, if you're a believer who is poor, you actually have something to boast about too, Why? Well, believers who are poor have something to boast about, for God has honored them. God has honored them. Now it's like, okay, well, how has he honored me? I haven't seen, like I'm still in debt in this area, or I'm still looking for this job, or I still have to pay off this thing, or I've still got bills that I've been putting off paying this month because I don't really want to release all that right now and, and feel uncomfortable with what's left. So what is, how has God honored me? How can I take pride in, in, in these circumstances. And we need to, we need to shift our attention from just what's, what's you know, physical and material and think a bit more in the spiritual realm, in, the, in this realm where, where God has done something through Jesus. If you have faith in him, that is so much better than anything you could have materially. He, in other places in the New Testament, it says he has seated us in the heavenly realms. We just did this series in Ephesians 1 called The Best Life, and it talked all about what we have apart from what we could earn, apart from what we deserved, all because of what Jesus has done on our behalf and then gifted to us. We have something to take pride in. But yes, obviously, okay, money does help. There's lots of things that, that it's helpful uh, for doing. Uh, for example, I, I moved three years ago uh, to downtown Abbotsford, uh, and, I was, and in the process of us trying to figure out where we needed to move, we, we did some math and went, okay, well, what neighborhood should we even be allowed to consider? Because, you know, the amount of money you have might dictate where you can find a, a home, right? And so we ended up finding a home. But then this, uh, this week, I stumbled across an article that talked about the most expensive homes in all of, of Canada. And some of these I found interesting. So uh, last summer, our, our youth missions team went to Montreal. There was a neighborhood there, Lexington Avenue in Westmount, where the average price point of a home is $1.8 million. You want to uh, cruise into Westmount, you know, drive home after work every day on Lexington Ave and pull into your uh, mansion, that's the price point it's going to take. I thought, okay, what if I move to my hometown of Calgary in, in Alberta? Uh, there's, this, there's this really good coffee shop I like, and it's in this neighborhood uh, called Britannia. Uh, what's that going to cost me? Well, some of the wealthiest people in Canada live there, uh, which makes sense because the homes there are an average of $2.28 million dollars. I mean, you get some pretty good views. Obviously, the coffee shop is a perk. Uh, some of these estates, right? Um, uh, what if I didn't, didn't want to go east to some of these weird provinces, though? Uh, what if I want to stay here and 
maybe not in Abbotsford per se, but let's say, you know, Vancouver. And you're already like, hey, well, this is going to be, it's gonna, that's going to cost. So we know how much Abbotsford is alone, uh, let alone, you know, what it's like out there. I can't even afford gas out there, let alone a home. But we're going to go over there anyways. And, hey, there's this neighborhood called Shaughnessy. <laughs> and if you go on MLS, you're, you're realizing, wow, that's 11 million? 13 million, 15 million dollar homes. Like last night, I was watching some drone footage on a realtor's site of a 15 million dollar mansion in Shaughnessy Heights. And I'm like, that is wow. Like, that would be incredible, right? And the average price point there, again, this is the average. So there's some that are obviously way above this, you know, 3.1 million dollars. Some of these are the most expensive homes in all of our country, right? So obviously, money can affect things like where you live. Money can affect the neighborhood you move into. But what money can't dictate, though, is the kingdom you belong to. And I think for me that's really encouraging because even though, even though your physical address may not be that impressive, your spiritual address is unbeatable. Listen to how Paul puts this in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, because of God's great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And, catch this, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Look, our lack of material wealth does not equate to a lack of spiritual riches. And what James would have us do is is to do the math and realize that, look, if you have faith in Jesus, what you have is way more valuable than money. What you have is way more valuable than anything you could buy or, or save up for or, or even accomplish, right? What you have, you have something to boast about. But that's not all he has to say. Uh, we get into verse 10 here. We've talked about the believers who are poor. What about those who aren't? Verse 10, and those who are rich. So I think my tendency when I, when I read this was to go, okay, so this part isn't for me, right? And I, maybe, that's, maybe that's your thing going, okay, wow, here we go. Now, now James is going to rip into and, and light up the, the people who uh, are in this room that I know that they've got more money than me. They've got a nicer house than me. Uh, they have the newer shoes than me. Uh, I, I scroll through my Instagram stories, and they're just like on an endless vacation. Like, I don't know what's going on. Uh, this is a word for them, right? And uh, maybe, but... Like my bank always likes to tell me, I'm richer than I think, and so are you, actually. So, so get this, there's, um, there's some studies that have been done uh, from a global perspective, which actually lines up so well with the biblical perspective here, because just, just although most of us, if not every one of us, no matter how wealthy you are, know somebody who has more, we need to realize globally... And biblically, where we fit into the picture. And you can, you can even Google your place in this with, with, with wealth charts and net worth charts and all that. But here's some interesting things uh, that I found this week. Did you know that if you have 
over $4,000 worth of stuff, so just $4,000 worth of stuff, you are in the top 50% of the world's wealthiest people group. That's saying a lot considering most of us have more than $4,000 on the Central Heights property currently. Like I'm using my iPad as a Bible this morning, right? Like what is going on? Top 50 of the wealthiest people group. Uh, It's also said, here's another interesting one, that 3 billion people live on less than $2.50 per day. Like most of us spent more on coffee than that this morning. That's crazy. Three billion people. Like, I don't even have an analogy to describe how much more three billion people is than just this group in here right now. Or how about this one? Studies have shown that 70 to 80% of the world lives on $10 or less a day. So if you were uh, out and about during the run for water today, there's lots of people around. If you had sort of panhandled $10 you would have the ability to spend like the wealthiest 20% of the whole world. And however we got there, or why ever we're there through the injustices or or whatever it was that, that makes these figures a thing, we need to realize that if James were here, he probably would call us the rich. Which, by the way, is not automatically a bad thing. Because I think it's like, well, you know, God only loves the poor people. He cares about the poor. Obviously, yes, he does. Uh, But that does not automatically mean that he isn't with and doesn't love the rich either. Again, James is is assuming there are both types of believers here. And sometimes, you know, those of us who do have more are kind of like ashamed of it, right? But God's not so much concerned about how much you have. He's concerned about how did you get that much and what do you do now that you have that much. And I love that I don't have to do a ton of work this morning uh, just as a speaker because James actually builds the illustration right in uh, to the text here. He says that, uh, you, know, you know, these people, if, if you're like this, you can boast that God has humbled you because they will fade away like a little flower in the field. The hot sun rises and grass withers and the little flower droops and falls and its beauty fades away. In the same way, the rich will fade away with all their achievements. Another translation says the rich will fade away even as they go about their business. So if there's such a temporary nature to all this, well, how, can we, how can we who probably would be considered the rich you know, boast about God humbling us? Like what, what is that about? What's interesting, the language here in this analogy comes uh, very closely from Isaiah chapter 40, which says this, All people are like grass, and their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. There is something about trusting in the word of God, and in the work of God, that requires humility, doesn't it? Because there's, there's a lot of things that you can't accomplish or can't earn, with, no matter how wealthy you are, and the chief among them being a relationship with God. So yes, you can fix a lot of things, you can get a lot of things, you can do a lot of things, but what you can't do for yourself is save yourself from your sin and earn your way to God, earn your way to heaven, earn your way to be with him forever. 
And just that act alone is an act of humbling ourselves to surrender to the one who was humbled himself to the point of death on a cross for us. I mean, there's other ways that we'll be, we'll be humbled when we, when we, when we entrust our, what, what God has given to us to steward. You know, you, you might end up investing or giving or spending on things that your coworkers, your classmates, your friends, maybe even your family would think is just weird. Like, why would you, why would you spend that much on, on this? Or why would you give to that person or that organization or do these types of things? Or you call it worship. Well, what, is, what is that about? You, you might find even relationally or socially your, your image starts to go down and maybe even that is an act of humbling. Or maybe the, the humbling thing is when you find there's other things in life that you can't fix with your wallet, right? However it is, we still have a reason to boast because as this language even is describing, we have something more secure to trust in than our money, and that is the word of our God. See, not only for those of us who, you know, are, are thinking about what, what's really valuable and maybe we think we feel poor, not only if we have faith in Jesus do we have something more valuable than money, we also have something way more secure and trustworthy than money as well. If we do the math, we go, okay, well, what, what am I going to look to for my security in life? If it, if it really is the word of God that endures forever, like, am, am I really living in a way that shows I, I really believe this? Because the way we live and, and what we trust in shows what we think is trustworthy. Like, uh, like a silly example of this is, is as a dad uh, and how my kids respond and, and what they do uh, to be comforted or to find security in life. And, and I hope I'm, I'm probably not the only dad who, who feels this where it's like anytime kids need help or, or comfort, well, they go to mom for that, right? Just me. Wow, I'm awful dad, right? Okay, well, uh, uh, part of the problem probably is because i sometimes the source of them needing comfort, I, I guess. Uh, <laughs> You know, cardboard box cars don't have seat belts, which creates accidents in the kitchen. But um, when they go to mom, it's because they're showing, hey, mom is trustworthy. I have a good tracker with mom. Not maybe that even dad is bad all the time per se, but, I'm, but they're showing me, hey, like, like mom is the, their, their primary, their priority when they, when they need comfort, when they need security. That's who they're going to, Right? And I wonder if the same is, is for us. When we face something in life, is, is, is our priority, when we, when we need something to trust in, is it, man, I'm going to go to prayer about this. I'm going to go you know, to, the, to, to my people, my crew from church to, about this, and we're going to seek God together. Or is it, well, it's, it's fine. I'm just going to rely on, on the balance in the bank to get me through this. I'm going to rely on my job. I'm going to rely on working uh, more at my job and working a longer work week or whatever it's going uh, to take to get me through this. Because what we trust shows what we think is trustworthy, but it, but James is showing, hey, look, all this is temporary. There's something way more significant to put your trust in. And that's the word and the work of God. So, I mean, maybe if you've been tracking with this series, you're kind of like, well, we're only in like, into like 11 verses at this point in James, and we've hit all these different topics. Like, what's, Why is James jumping all over the place in such a short span of time? And the reason for that is because an overarching theme of, of this letter is about wholeness. Uh, Christian theologian Frank Thielman puts it this way. James wanted his Jewish Christian readers to devote themselves anew to a life of undivided commitment to God and the Lord Jesus Christ. See, our attitude or our perspective uh, on money often shows where our loyalty lies, doesn't it? As does where we go for wisdom, as does what happens when times get tough and some of these other things that James has touched on. 
I mean, we come to it later in James 1.27 where he says pure and genuine religion, so like real faith in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. And I think if there's something that that really influences me from culture, it's this desire to have more, to do more, uh, to try and get more for myself, isn't it? But that's not what real faith looks like. That's not how real faith interacts with money. Jesus put it this way in Matthew chapter 6. No one can serve two masters, for either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Because money's a good tool, but it's not a good master for us. And if we're going to have lives of undivided loyalty to Jesus, that means we're saying, hey, 100% of who I am, what I have, what I've been given, I'm going to let you run it. And this just shouldn't ruin me in any way. Richard Bauckham comments on this as well, and he says, wholeness in the Christian life, this, this word completeness that shows up in James seven, seven times, it says wholeness occurs when the whole of human life is focused and integrated in God. And like to be honest, like okay, so so I get assigned to the topic of, of preaching through this text, and I go, man, like this is a, this is a tough one for me because honestly, like if there is an area of my heart, if there's like if my heart was split into territories, and the gospel needs to go to each of those territories, honestly, that the part about money is a territory that's like a very hard place to access when it comes to the gospel of Jesus. And maybe it's because of the culture we live in. Maybe it's because of just my own personality and attitude where I'm like, I I really got to trust in what I can see. I don't know what it is, but it's a tough thing to go, man, I've got just undivided loyalty here to God and and, and to my Lord who I've given my life to. And maybe that's one of the biggest things for us as, as, as a Canadian church is, you know, we're, we're quick to go, hey, you know, I'm talented at this, or I'm skilled at this, or I'm gifted in this other way, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this, I'm going to bring this to God, I'm going to use this gift, I'm going to serve in this way, I'm going to meet a practical need uh, and do that that way, I'm going to use my time to that end as well, but when it comes to my money, you're like, whoa, maybe I'll wait until I'm a bit more financially stable and, and then use that as worship in addition to my singing and my serving, Right? Maybe that's kind of where we're at, and James would push back on that and go, hey, listen, like, you already have something to take pride in, and if you really want to have this wholeness that comes with real faith, you need to understand the lordship of a good God in your life. So now what? Now what? Okay, here's five, five questions that I think really uh, hit home for me, and hopefully will be helpful for all of us. Number one, how obvious is your gratitude for God? Like how obvious is it in the way you live and how you talk especially, or maybe even how you joke, that you are thankful for what you have, no matter how what you have compares to what others have. So, you know, maybe, maybe it's time to stop, uh, you know, sharing those memes online that's like, oh, I'm so poor, I can't afford this meal. Or maybe it's time to stop comparing ourselves to what we see on our, on our social media feeds or in the newsletters we get or are or watching on TV. Maybe it's time we stop envying uh, what other people have, even though we have a lot, but we're, there's always more to have, right? So it's like, well, maybe we need to stop with that approach. We can acknowledge it, but maybe stop there and go, God, just, just thank you. Just thank you for what I do have. Like when you eat lunch today, and I know a lot of us already do this, when you, when you pray, 
Don't make it just an automatic thing that you do that gives you permission to eat. But actually go, God, I did not need to have food today. I did not need to have a meal today, let alone a second meal today. So thank you for what I have. Thank you that when I, when I go home, I, I can jump in, in a shower and, and there's, that it's actually warm water and clean water. Thank you that I've got clothes to wear. I didn't need to have clothes to wear, but thank you that you've set me up in that way. Thank you that I have a place to live. I didn't need to have that, but thank you that I have it. Those two words of thank you can really shift our, our focus and our perspective when it comes to what we have or don't have materially. Second question, does my gain force others to lose? Because we have these kind of broader principles from James chapter 1, but in James chapter 5, he applies them quite directly and bluntly to a group of rich people. Like listen to verses 4 to 6 of James chapter 5. He says, look, you rich, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You've lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You've fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You've condemned and murdered the innocent one who is not opposing you. Is there a way that you are generating income for yourself that's causing others to be harmed or defrauded or cheated, oppressed? This question speaks for itself, and maybe, it's, maybe it doesn't even have to be anything on a big business level scale. You know, one time, I was, I was in grade 8, I was walking in the hallway of my school and, and found $10 and realized who had dropped it in the hallway. And I thought, well, no, nobody would know. Nobody would know. They wouldn't even know. But it was, like, it, was, it was as if God was like, yeah, but you don't know why they were carrying that money with them today. You don't know who gave that to them and for what purpose. Your gain might cause somebody else to lose here. So it doesn't even need to be a big deal thing. It might be down to some of these small decisions you're making. Maybe you owe somebody money and, and, and your gain of, of just keeping it all right now is, like, is causing them to, to hurt or, or lose out in other ways. I don't know what it might be, but is your gain causing others to lose? Because if, if Jesus runs your life, money shouldn't be ruining your life or anybody else's life that you're connected to either. Question three, am I hoarding because I'm afraid and this one, maybe out of all the ones I have this morning, hits the closest for me. Listen to what James 5, 1 to 3 says. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that's coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. The corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. Ugh. You've hoarded wealth in the last days. In the last days. See, we're living in this moment of history right now where Jesus could return at any moment. And just like that, you know, eternity begins, resurrection, you know, and all of that comes with it, judgment, all that. When, when he shows up, a whole new era begins. And so what is he going to show up and find? What's, what, what's going to be the state of, 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 of the practice that you have had up until that point? And it's not like, it's not like James is, is, is pressing against you know, saving wisely for what you might need. It's about amassing a, a bunch of stuff that you may not need. And God might want to identify some things for us that we're doing, not out of wisdom, but actually out of fear. And I follow this pastor on, on Instagram named Craig Groeschel, and he posted this week that he says, hey, where you fear the most is where you trust God the least. And for me, I'm like, wow, if, if I'm doing this 
saying it's wise, but really it's just out of fear that God's not going to show up and provide for me. That may mean I'm not trusting him like I ought to, as he is worthy of. Question number four, do my resources build God's kingdom? Or inversely, are they building my kingdom? See, in James 5, 5, we've already read it, it says, you've lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You fatten yourselves in the day of slaughter. Now, it's interesting that we'd even want you know, to, to build our own kingdoms, because it's not even like really, you don't even have to be a church-going person to realize the, the kind of the, the bottomless cup you're trying to drink from when you're trying to build your own wealth and your own power. Like even, uh, even the very blue version of Will Smith in the newest Disney movie would say, there's not enough money or power in the world to satisfy you. So why, why is that sometimes how we treat money or power? You know, every year from in, in, our, in our youth ministry, we have, we have students who graduate high school and they move into young adults and, and beyond. And I've never seen, and I would never expect to see a high schooler on their way out talking to a middle schooler going, hey, you know what? I really wish when I was in middle school, I'd given God less. Or a college student telling a high schooler, hey, you know, I really wish, man, when I was going through the, through the, the day in and day out of high school, I really wish I'd given God less. Or maybe somebody in their 40s, you know, middle age, talking to a college student. Man, I really wish that when I was in college and all the years that were there, I really wish I had just stored up more for myself rather than, than, than give it to God or serve God or, or use it for God's kingdom. Or like somebody at the end of life, or 80s or 90s, looking at any of these groups going, man, I wish over the last several decades I've given God less. You would never hear that. You should never hear that. Because following Jesus never leads to less in the end. Especially when we're, we're prioritizing his kingdom. And question number five. What does God want me to act on today? Look, maybe, maybe all this you're going, man, I have done some things poorly. I'm not poor, but I've done things poorly. So maybe I need to make some adjustments. The great thing is, is that behind, the, behind all of this message is a God, not just of truth, but of grace as well. And James would also tell us, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And so if there is an area where you've lacked trust or where you've, where you've acted wrongly, he'll meet you there. Or maybe you have kind of ruined some things, maybe with your identity, maybe with your bank account, maybe with some relationships, with your job, I don't know what it might be, and you just go, man, I need, I need Jesus to run this thing for me and, and, and set a new course for my life. And maybe that might be even for the very first time for some of us today. So in whatever it is, why don't we just take a moment and go, okay, however much or however little I have, whatever stage of life I am in, is there something God wants me to act on today? Take a moment and just reflect on that, and then I'll pray for us.
Father, as we think about this topic, as we think about this reality, may there not be a wave of shame or of guilt that washes over any of us, but may we recognize your goodness and your greatness to motivate us to something better. That if we have faith in you, we've got something so valuable, so secure, and that you want to run our lives in a way that, that money won't ruin us. Help us to commit to surrendering ourselves to your good shepherding of our lives. And thank you that you want to do that. And for every person in here who has identified something, pray that you would give them favor and bless them as they pursue a new course under your lordship. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.